Well, good morning, friends. Good to be with you all again this morning. Uh, we're continuing on this morning in our series called Foundations. Uh, last week, uh, JT talked about what does it mean to be a community. Uh, and the week before, I, I, I prefaced this because I feel like uh, two of the things that I love to talk about are two of the things that can cause the most hurt and harm in the church. And so I feel like I need to preface a little bit when I talk about them. But two weeks ago, I talked about how to study the Bible. And today we're going to talk about how to share your faith. And so again, I want to start off by saying uh, some people uh, have not experienced someone sharing their faith in a way that is harmful or hurtful. You've had a genuine experience where someone shared with you the goodness and beauty of Jesus, and you decided, I want to follow him. And some of you uh, had to overcome the way in which someone shared their faith with you, void of relationship, in an attempt to shove it down your throat or reach a quota or something like that, that you've been hurt. Uh, and so I want to start off by saying this morning, uh, if I speak with tongues of angels but I don't have love, I am nothing but a clanging cymbal. Uh, that is the root and heart of sharing your faith. I can say all the right things and do all the right things, and I can still miss the mark if I don't talk about the person I love in the context of relationship and in the context of why I care. If the person in front of me is not that, a person created in God's image, then ultimately I am likely to treat that person with less dignity and less care. And so I want to preface this this morning that the invitation that I extend in how to share your faith is rooted in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not just a cool wedding passage. It is an actual dialogue for the church to engage in real person-to-person -person love with people. That there's, an other, there's another person on the end of your love. They are receiving it. They are human. They are created in God's image. They are created with dignity, worth, and value. And so to start, I want to preface with that. I think that's so important to know. I think for a lot of us, we've experienced a relationship or experienced somebody sharing their faith kind of uh, like this picture. Uh, it's too formulaic. Uh, my Nana was an amazing baker. She made these cinnamon rolls by the droves. And I love them. They're my favorite food on planet Earth. When I would go to Florida, my like little 92-year-old Nana would break out the like tea rings and dough and everything, and she would make just hundreds of these things. People would be like, when's Nana making cinnamon rolls, right? One time she invited me to come and learn how to make cinnamon rolls. I am not a baker. I am not a chef. I am a master of Chef Boyardee. Uh, but I am not good at like, hey, let's just make this from scratch today. That sounds fun. I'm like, listen, lasagna at Costco is like two pre-made lasagnas on sale for $19.99. We're going to buy those once a week. That's our plan. Like, that's my chef skills. If I make cookies, I like will get out the thing. Even when I make scrambled eggs, this is how bad it is. My daughter and I love to cook together because she loves cooking and I want to do some of the things that she loves. And she'll get out this book and it, it's like how to make the perfect scrambled egg. And I'm like, okay, we need to measure exactly one tablespoon of like 
uh, whipping cream. Let's put that in there, right? And then we got the eggs that we're putting in there. That's how I cook. I'm like, you give me all the measurements and you tell me exactly what needs to go in there so this does not get screwed up royally. Like, my goal is to not make it taste bad. My Nana is on the opposite end of the spectrum. Her end is like, I'm gonna make it taste as exceptional as humanly possible. Mediocre is not okay. I'm like, let's get to mediocre, then we can work from there. But I go in to cook with my Nana. She's like, we're gonna get that dough. We're gonna do this. I'm like, how much dough do we need? She's like, just that much. And then she'll be like, okay, we need some flour. Boom, flour. And then just like throws the flour on top. I'm like, how much flour do we actually need? She's starting to just throw ingredients in. I'm getting nervous because I'm like, what if these aren't going to turn out the right way? She's like, oh, just about this much. I'm like, what about a quarter cup? Like, give me a measurement here. I'm not getting a measurement. She's like, no, we'll just do this. And then we'll do this. And then we'll put it in this thing and we'll let it rest. I'm like, how long do we let it rest? We'll know when it's right. And I'm sitting there and I'm freaking out because I swear that I am coming up with the worst, I, I'm ruining the process. I'm ruining Nana. Like she's gonna make a bad cinnamon roll because of me. Like what do you mean I'm just gonna know, like just fling on the flour, there you go, it's looking great, right? This is gonna taste awful and my whole family is gonna ban me from ever cooking cinnamon rolls again and then I don't get to be first. <laughs> but I think that sometimes we treat sharing our faith so formulaically that we want to measure just the right amount. We want to have just the right answer. We want to have just the right thing to say at just the right time so that it will produce exactly what it's supposed to produce. And in the same way, I think sharing our faith should be a lot more like Nana baking cinnamon rolls, where her relationship to the ingredients is so well known that she knows exactly what it needs to make it taste good. She relies on what she knows and she trusts that the way that she was taught is the way that she'll be able to replicate and it will be a sweet, sweet flavor. You see, sometimes I think sharing our faith, we just want it to be adequate. But I think oftentimes we miss the goodness that can come from talking about that which we love. Jesus, that is the root of sharing our faith. Now, the first thing I want to start off by saying is the gospel, that which we share, comes from the root word evangelion, which means good news, right? Not bad news, not like rough news now, okay news later, holy cow, this world's a wreck, thank God I get to make it to heaven. No, the good news is what's happening right now. The good news is something that we take part in. Uh, as I've studied and been in ministry for a while, I've, I've kind of come up with a definition of what the gospel is. What is the good news that we talk about? Because so many times, uh, I think some people can share their faith and they'll be like, let me tell you about the good news. Point one, you're wretched. And I don't know about you, that's a huge bummer, real big bummer of a starting point. Now, I think, and I totally believe that we are fallen, sinful, broken, separated from God, uh, but, but that's a really crappy place to start because if we don't start with God's good creation and the dignity, value, and worth that he's given to every person, no matter who they are, what they do, how they act, 
what they say, that just because you were born, you have dignity, value, and worth, that is good news, that God thought of you, created you with intentionality and purpose. And then he looked at you and he didn't say, what a giant mistake. He said, it is very good. Very good. The gospel is good news. It is the good news that Jesus has come, defeated sin, death, and brokenness through his life, death, and resurrection, and is establishing the kingdom of God through his people, us, under his rule and reign forever. That good news is happening right now. You and I are taking part in the good news of Jesus. When we come here today and we confess our love for him and we say, Jesus, we believe you. We love you. We're here to worship you. We are saying, this is good news that Jesus has come and defeated sin, death, brokenness through his life, death, and resurrection. Now, I want to zero in on something. I think the whole life of Jesus is good news. It's really interesting to me that we that people in the Christian faith hold the Bible up to be this like ultra authority and then they really want to hone in on like four chapters at the end of each gospel. But like it's the gospel of Luke, the good news according to Luke, right? Or the gospel of Mark, the good news according to Mark. In in the beginning of Mark, it actually says that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel. Now, that might seem a little problematic, but I think a lot of people who share their faith have rooted it in this, uh, this Pauline ideology. Uh, but we actually say, if Jesus shared the gospel, then I actually have to do something about it. Because if Jesus shared the gospel, what gospel did Jesus share? Because Jesus is a part of the good news. You see, I actually think that Jesus' whole life is good news, that we learn from the entirety of his life, death, and resurrection. It's not just like, thank God Jesus hung on a cross. And by the way, three days later, we're going to celebrate that once a year and that will be adequate. No, it's the foundation of our faith that, the, that Jesus has come and he's lived a life. He's lived a life that is good news. And guess what? He didn't live that life void of relationship. He embodied what it meant to love. The gospel is good news. It is the good news that Jesus has come and defeated sin, death, and brokenness through his life, death, and resurrection, and is establishing his kingdom of God through his people under his rule and reign forever. You and I are a part of God's kingdom. As a part of God's kingdom, we make that kingdom known. Uh, we want other people to be a part of the kingdom of God because we want them to know that they are created with value and worth, that they are deeply loved by God, that they are people who are just absolutely, absolutely loved by their creator. Man, if that was a starting point, I think there would probably be a lot less harm. But I think for so many of us, and I don't know about you guys, we'll talk about this in a little bit. There are a lot of places that people go in the Bible that kind of uh, proof text some of the scriptures to make it sound like you need to just like be assertive and like go get it. And I think that sharing your faith can be something that you do on purpose. I can go and engage people, 
But I think the mistake people often make, and I think uh, kind of what has happened, is I think they've taken something that was supposed to be good, and it's actually gotten twisted. So I work for an organization. We use something called the Knowing God Personally booklet. Um, and uh, it was created in, in the 1950s. And the purpose of all these tracks and things that were coming out in the 50s was so that uh, people could have kind of a ready-made way to explain the gospel to someone else. Now, there's a lot of connotation around like a track, right? It's not great. The reason that's be that is is because people have taken what was supposed to be a useful way to explain something meaningful to them and have made it uh, just the point of handing them out. When, when we use something like that void of relationship, when we try to replace a tool with relationship, we're going to get destruction. Like we're going to get hurt. Like, by the way, just read this. It's important. Right? But here's the thing. Like when I tell somebody about something that I love, let's say chocolate cake. Uh, Dewey's has a great chocolate cake. Let me just tell, tell you about this chocolate cake. I could tell you about the chocolate cake for a really long time and be like, yo, the chocolate cake there is so good. It's so good. I'm telling you, you're going to want to eat the chocolate cake. And then I'll just like let you be. Or if I really care about what I love and I care about you experiencing what I love, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go buy the cake. I'm going to go bring it to you. I'm going to say, try this cake. It's delicious cake. Right? It's so interesting because we like to keep people at arm's length. We like to keep people at a distance. And what was intended to be something that was meant for good so that mass people could hear the gospel, and I think there has been usefulness and goodness to it, has now been used as a way to keep distance from someone. Hey, just read this. It's important. Like, so important. I think it actually impacts your whole life. Let's talk about it, like, in three weeks when I come back, and we'll talk about it later. If you don't like it, I won't text you again. Don't worry about it. You know, it's like, as we're leaving, it's like, you just read that. It's good for you. Or, you know what else I do? I leave it in the toilet. Now, don't act like you have not seen a toilet tract. Right? You go into the bathroom. You're there to use the bathroom. And all it's like, the good news of hope. And I'm like, yo, I am not in here to read. <laughs> like... Maybe scroll TikTok, but I am not in here to read. Like, I'm here to take care of business, get out. But I am floored by the number of tracks I find in the bathroom. Like, it is uncanny and kind of funny. Like, how many of those tracks get, like, the plumber probably hates tracks so much because they come into a bathroom after it inevitably gets clogged from all the people who flush the track, right? And they have to, like, fish it out. Like, man, not great. Anyways, I won't get aside on a toilet track. That's, I, I have really strong feelings about this. We'll actually come back and revisit it later. Uh, but what we want to do this morning is we are going to talk about what it looks like and what it means to share our faith. So apart from relationship, which I think is the key, that's going to underlie the relationship, a loving relationship towards people. That's going to underlie our entire idea and proposal this morning. I want to look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians... It says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. 
I think so often what ends up happening is when we talk about preaching the gospel, we talk about it with simply a proclamation. It is something I say. But I think that's part of it. I actually think that's a piece of the pie. I actually think we miss it. And there are a lot of different traditions in Christianity, a lot of different denominations and schools of thought that have different ideas about how to go about evangelism or sharing your faith. The one that I come from is very much focused on proclamation, right? The gospel is said. And that's, that's not false. The gospel is proclaimed. I want to talk about Jesus. But the gospel is much more than that. And we actually see that in this passage and see that in the life of Jesus. That sharing the gospel doesn't just involve what you say. It involves who you are and it involves what you do. You see, if we look in the passage, we'll, we'll first look at the sharing the gospel involves presence. Notice, Paul says, among you. We lived among you. Sharing the gospel involved being present in people's lives. It is not just a track I leave in a bathroom. It's not just a, a, a sign that someone decides to pick it outside of a school or a place that someone might go. No. The, the gospel is brought by Christians, people who follow Jesus and their presence in a place where they come and they say, I'm here. I'm here and I'm confident that when I come, I bring Jesus with me. You see, I think sometimes we, we actually have this idea about sharing our faith that's very Gnostic. It's like, I want to change your spiritual reality, but my physical reality has not really changed at all. We want things to kind of just stay out in the spiritual realm of things. But like, what does it mean to actually be an embodied presence? And in John 1, in the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus came and he moved into the neighborhood, as the, as the, um, the message puts it, that Jesus came in and he, and he took up human form. It's called the incarnation. That, that Jesus came and he became what? Present among his creation. So I don't understand how Christians have gotten this idea that we can share our faith apart from presence. That somehow we think we can divorce ourselves and distance ourselves from people and somehow they hear the good news. The good news on a megaphone and the good news over a coffee are received very differently. But one thing separates them, an openness to being hurt, an openness to being rejected. You see, we have to be okay with somebody saying, I don't think I believe that. It's always a risk. What we've tried to do is we've tried to take sharing our faith, and we've tried to lessen and mitigate risk. When a belief in Jesus, and if you were a believer in Jesus in his day, following Jesus and declaring that Jesus is Lord is the greatest risk you would take. Because it wasn't just a simple proclamation of like, Jesus is my good spiritual buddy. It was a proclamation that said, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. It was a political statement. It was a statement that said, my king is not that king. The risk that it took to place your faith in the person of Jesus was immense. 
there's always risk to following Jesus. Always. And yet, we actually spend more time trying to mitigate risk than we do enter relationship. And it's the most harmful thing that we can do as people who follow Jesus. If we are not present, if we are not incarnate in our space, if, if we exist as a church in an area and the church and the people of our area don't know we're here, have we really become present in our community? Are we not just the people who drive from a lot of different places uh, to get together to sing some songs on a Sunday morning? And man, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of something that's so much more than singing guitar and listening to a sermon. I want Cleveland Heights, where I live, to know that I'm there for its good. That the people would know that I love them. That I want good for them. That I want good for my city. And so I, I work to do good. I work to be present. I work to be known. And I work to know other people in this place. But all of us can be just present in a place. It also takes demonstration, right? Like it says in the passage, it says, we worked among you so that we actually would be no burden to you, but so that we actually could share the gospel. There's actual demonstration of what it means to be the good news. There's an embodiment, right? It's not just being present, but there's actual demonstration that comes with it. It's not just, hey, I went and I stood on the street corner and I had a really cool stand by me. No, it's like, I did not. I actually went and I walked into the coffee shop and I got to know all the people who work there. Uh, if you have met my wife, you know Megan is a woo. Uh, winning others over. If you haven't taken strength finders, and she does, she wins everyone over. I don't know many people who don't like Megan. Uh, and honestly, it's super good for me because... Uh, I need her to woo some people for me sometimes. <laughs> but uh, Megan goes into Starbucks on the corner of Mayfield and Lee all the time. Uh, all the time. Uh, I go in, I get my coffee, and I'm out. I go in, I don't really drink coffee. I get my tea, really, I'll be honest. But Megan goes in, and she gets her chai, and she'll be like, hey, Brian, how's it going? And I'm like, who? Who's Brian? She's like, oh, that's the barista, and she tells me all about his life. I'm like, oh, crap, I've got to do, i got some work to do. But my wife does such a good job of when she walks into that space that she's present and demonstrating quality relationship with people. And she does it just because she loves people. She wants to be kind to people. She wants people to experience goodness and love, to be known She's demonstrating what it means to carry good news with her. That the people who are in that shop every day, I mean, it can just be a hi, hello, how are you? Hey, how'd this thing go last week? It's in a three-minute interaction that she finds out more about their life than I might know in the last, like, three or four months, if at all. An embodied presence where we're demonstrating the gospel is so vital to knowing what it means to share our faith. And the last thing involves proclamation. Now here's the thing. This is oftentimes the scariest part. Uh, and I think that oftentimes we kind of divorce these three things from each other. Hey, I'll just be really present. Like I'll go sit myself in the same space at the same time all the time. Uh, but I'm not really gonna do anything there. 
so I don't, or, or maybe I'll just go demonstrate some things, but you know, nobody's actually going to know what's happening or know why I do it. You see, every time Jesus came in to a space, he would be present. He would demonstrate the power of the gospel there. And ultimately, he would say, hey, might you come and follow me? There's a story of the woman at the well, right? And uh, this woman in John 4 uh, comes to the well midday. Uh, she's a Syrophoenician woman, but she's had uh, five husbands. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people uh, trounce the woman at the well because she had five husbands. And they're like, well, clearly she's got some things going on. But women had no ability to divorce their husbands in that day. Only the men could make a decision to get a divorce. And so when Jesus says, well, in fact, you've had five husbands, he's not saying, look at you, for shame. That's the way that a lot of times people have taught the passage, like, hey, look, here's this promiscuous woman uh, out doing terrible things again. No, he's saying, I know you. Here I am. I know that you've come to the well at this point in the day because you're shamed amongst all the people who would come here in the morning. You're shamed amongst all the people who would come in the afternoon. You're here because you can be here alone and not face the shame of not being wanted. And Jesus said, look, why don't you draw some water? Right? And he talked to the, and goes through this whole thing about living water. And how if she understood that he was living water, she would never thirst again. And she's like, what? That's kind of crazy. But then she sees that the person who she's been talking to is Jesus. After Jesus has explained to her who he is and what he can give. And do you know what she says? Says that she returned to her village and she proclaimed, come meet a man. Come meet a man. It was this simple invitation by her village. Come meet a man who's told me everything I've ever done. That drew her and drew others. This encounter with God compelled her to say, I want other people to know and experience the man who just gave me life at the well. So come meet a man. The gospel involves proclamation. But proclamation without presence and demonstration oftentimes falls flat. What if our church was a church that said we are committed to our place? We are committed to demonstrating the gospel in our place. And we are committed to proclaiming the gospel in our space. Might it be a space that is transformed for the good, for the good of the people who exist within our community? You see, what if the gospel didn't look like this? The proclamation of the gospel didn't look like this. What if it didn't look like a pulpit? But what if it looked like this? What if it looked like a really good meal with friends around a table? What if proclaiming the gospel didn't look like this? A picket sign. But what if it looked like this? Continued coffee appointments over and over with people you know and are in relationship. What if the gospel didn't look like this? 
toilet track, but looked like this, serving people in our place. What if the gospel wasn't this, a formula, but what if it was this, a community of relationships? What if the gospel wasn't this, a way of keeping people out, but what if it was this, an open door to come and make, their, make our space home. You see, what if proclaiming the gospel was like building a well in a field? And instead of inviting all of us who are the people who would be gathered in the field to build a fence and decide who's in and out of that fence, what if we actually said, hey, there's a well in the middle of this field. Come taste the goodness of the well. What if that well is Jesus? And our invitation was not to focus on the fence that we would want to build to distinguish who's in and who's out. And I'll tell you, it's always easy to build a fence. It's always easier to build a fence because building something can be void of relationship. We can declare all the things that we're against, and it makes it easy, and it gives us some sense of peace that, like, well, at least I'm not like this. At least I'm not like that. But what if Christians were people who broke down the fence and were instead people who said, look at the well, come meet the man who gave me life, who gave me everything that I need. Come meet Jesus. We are not fence builders here. Restoration Heights, our goal is that we would be a place where every person that steps foot into this building no matter your race, orientation, where you come from, where you're going, your past, that you have a place right here where you can say, I've met Jesus. Might I learn to know him with this people that we would go and demonstrate to our community how good he really is. You see, when we focus on the fence, we become the Pharisee. We become the very people who think that they know all the things about God, but who are really just focused on how pious they could be to keep others out. My job is not to focus on you and your distance from, my, from God. My job is to invite you into a proximal relationship with God where you experience his closeness, his goodness, his love, his affection, his redemption that all the dark things in our life, that God is cleaning them up and making them right, and we as people are a demonstration to our community that God transforms lives. And you know what? All of us are in process. There are things that God reveals to every person that we need to whittle away at, the things that he says, leave these things behind and take these new things upon you. But the scripture, when it talks about what it looks like for people to come to faith, it doesn't say that God's picket sign leads to repentance. It doesn't say that God's toilet track leads to repentance. It doesn't say that God's, you fill in the blank of the ways that we have utilized and poorly utilized the, the message of the gospel in a way that has been weaponized. And yeah, it doesn't lead to repentance. But what does it say? It says God's kindness leads us 
to examine our lives. And God's Spirit convicts us to say, we leave these things behind and we take these things up together. We're a place where everybody is trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. What it looks like for the Spirit to say, this is what I'm saying to you about your life. And we're a place where you are invited to be a part of community where we are people who are present to one another, who demonstrate the gospel to our space, and who proclaim that Jesus has come and made us different together. That's the whole point of the church, that we are God's representation of a broken people being changed and transformed under the rule and reign of King Jesus. You're created with dignity, value, worth, and love by a good God who wants you to be a part of it. And guess what? He hasn't created a fence post for you to be there. He said, will you come and follow me? And our job is to say, come, meet a man. Sharing our faith can oftentimes be uh, something that feels really daunting. But I think it's, it can be really simple because I think it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. You see, ultimately, if I invite people to come in and I talk a lot about how great my church is, that's awesome. But ultimately, people who become a part of a church are a part of a group of people who inevitably somebody will hurt someone else. And so, believe it or not, I don't come to church because I think a church is cool. I come to church because of Jesus because I love him. And I think that we miss sharing our faith behind the facade of a church invite or something like that when really how we share our faith is really simple. And, and, and I don't want to give tools and methods. I just want to invite you to reflect on a question. What do you love about Jesus? And so maybe as you sit there, if you have your phone, a note on your phone, a place to write or something like that, I'm going to just invite two minutes of silence, and I want you to reflect. What do you love about Jesus? What do you love about him?
Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, man, this is kind of a tough assignment. <laughs> Wasn't ready for this. Uh, just know that this is a place to come and explore who Jesus is. And the reason I stand before you today is because I think Jesus is the most compelling person to ever walk our planet. I think he's the God who has revealed himself to us as the God of love, compassion, kindness, care, the God who takes all the things that you experience that are hurts and pains in this world, and he says, there's a day coming when they're just not going to be true anymore. But the invitation of Jesus is just to come to him, to come to him. And so when I ask the question, what do you love about Jesus, I ask it because I think the heart of sharing your faith is talking about who you love. The heart of sharing your faith is talking about who you love. And so it's one of my favorite things in the world to talk about Jesus. I love him, and I know with great confidence that he loves me. That he's invited me to the well. And man, I can't think of a better way to spend my life than telling people to come meet this man. What if sharing our faith was simply talking about who we loved? It wasn't a formula wasn't a tract. It wasn't a, a theological disposition about all the things that we might get right or wrong about theology. No. What if our faith was simply, I love Jesus because he loved me. He gave himself for me. And won't you come meet him because he is transforming me to be more like him. Sharing our faith doesn't need to be something that is aggressive. It doesn't need to be something that's formulaic. Sharing our faith is relational. It is invitational. And we do it through presence, demonstration, and proclamation. And I want to invite our church to be a church that is known for talking about who we love and showing why we love him. That is the heart of sharing your faith. So now my challenge to you is to go and tell people who you love and why you love him. And that can start simply by asking questions to get to know people. That can simply start by you sitting down and having coffee with a friend. And guess what? You don't need to dig in and in your first conversation with somebody be like, so, glad we got this coffee. Can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? That's awkward and weird. But we actually have the freedom because we've experienced Jesus' love to sit there and care and love the person across from us without any strings attached because Jesus loved them first. And all I have to do is talk about why I love Jesus. Believe it or not, God is the one who draws people to himself anyways. Might we be less of a barrier to that happening and more of an inviter to people experiencing the goodness, graciousness, redemption, and restoration of the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, 
I love you because you have given me good things. God, I, I love you because in the hard things you've met me. God, I love you because uh, as I was somebody who was a fence builder, God, you're making me somebody focused on the well. God, I love you because you're transforming my heart and mind to love people with great compassion, with great care. And God, I'm, I love you because you've invited me to, to use my life to demonstrate the gospel to other people. That God, when I share my faith, may it be an act of love and not obligation. But would it just be me talking about the Savior whom I love, the one who I declare Jesus is my Lord and Caesar is not. God, I give my loyalty to no thing but you, Jesus. God, may our church give our loyalty to nothing but you, Jesus. God, we love you and we thank you and we worship you today. We worship you as a demonstration of our belief in the good news. And God, we go into the world today believing that you transform lives. In your name, amen. I want to invite, just as you were listening this morning, if you've been somebody who's been hurt by somebody who shared their faith to you in just a really painful way, if you are maybe somebody who was like, man, I don't know if I love Jesus, and I want to talk more about that, uh, we're just going to have a couple people at the back if you want to pray, uh, if you want to be prayed for, um, we'll have a couple people standing back there. Uh, feel free to stand up. We want to pray with you. We want to love on you. We want to demonstrate to you that there's freedom here, uh, that no matter where you come, whether you're someone who's compelled to share your faith or whether you're someone who's like, I've been so hurt by that, I don't know what to do with it, that we want to pray for you, love you, and care for you. And we want you to know there's a space here. Uh, to figure it out. So as Eli leads us in worship, if you feel led, join us in prayer. Uh, yeah, amen.